Let me read from Matthew 3, and I do apologize for confusing you about Advent. Um, we, we finished our sermon series at the end, uh, well, we obviously got to the end of our sermon series, but it was the beginning of Advent, so all these different candles, if you want to know what they mean, ask David. <laughs> no, I'll let you know. But we're looking at John the Baptist today, and I'm reading from Matthew 3, 1 to 12, so the words will go up on the screens, um, but have a look in your Bibles as well. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Wow. Well, it's one of my theological heroes, Karl Barth, in the 20th century. He, he spoke about having a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, holding tightly to the Word of God in the midst of what is going on in the world. And actually, just uh, at St. Lawrence, uh, someone came up to me just before the service, and they were just saying, Phil, what is happening in our world? What is happening? Well, I'm not quite sure how to answer that, because what we see is Wars raging in Europe like we never imagined would happen. Economies failing and governments changing and different unions striking and people struggling. And here in Jersey, in an island that we've always imagined is a safe place to to live, to bring up children, these two unfolding tragedies. doesn't seem to be anywhere that's safe from the storms, does it? And I think when we think about it, the truth is, everywhere the options are running out. Everywhere. You know, whereas people thought, you know, uh, wealth is the thing that satisfies, it doesn't. And where we think, you know, we can buy into all these health programs, health is a guarantee, it's not. 
And I, I know myself growing up in, in education and teaching, you know, education provides that stability for life. It doesn't. And all the individualistic mindsets that we hear, it's my life, I'm going to do as I please. Actually, when I hear that, it just leaves a bit of a sour taste in the mouth. And I think it brings disappointment to the hearts. You know, standing together, learning what it is to be community, seems to me to be the only option before us. And maybe the world is waking up to it at last and we're seeing, if you like, the, 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 kind of the, the big difference between those who work together towards community and those that don't. And you know what's interesting about it is community is not the world's idea. It is God's. Standing together is what he has ordained in creation. I love one of the words for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. And it's, it literally means kind of like putting your arms around another. Side by side, together, God is all about community and he's all about communion with him. And maybe today in the world, it's never been greater for us as a church to live out community and to model it well. To stand side by side and to be caring to those around us and careful in what we say and what we do. To model compassion well. To share what God has given us well. To model generosity well. To be a hospitality center of God's kingdom in our midst and his values. To model what it is to be children of God well as we play our part in drawing alongside to the lost and bringing healing to the broken. I often find myself kind of referring back to uh, a word that uh, Isabel Allen gave, and it's written in her book, where she had a dream in 1994 in which God spoke these words. What you see now is an army of people who will carry my glory throughout the streets of the nations of the world. I'm preparing a generation that will be carriers of my glory which will be so strong and powerful that it will shine in the darkest places. And then it's this which she says, The ministries of men are over, and the time has come for the restoration of the ministry of Jesus back into the church and into the world. See, God has been doing this, and he still is. He's raising an army of people, a community of people, who are prepared to carry his glory, who want to carry his glory, who have that desire in their heart to be carriers of his presence. And around the world it's happening. And even though all of these storms are coming against us, many people are humbling themselves before God as his word goes out. You see, Jesus, it's your ministry, not mine. I never forget the Sunday before I went to theological college, and we, we sang the song, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, break me, melt me, mold me, and fill me. So I've written in my notes, I've spelt a different word for mold. <laughs> Just notice. <laughs> yeah, that mold is not good either. <laughs> You know, the song, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me and fill me. I remember singing it and just knowing something had shifted in me. And for well over two years, it was two years of breaking, melting and molding. And I think the filling is still 
going on. And it was important because I really did discover this is all about Jesus. It's all about his ministry. See, God is looking for us. Whatever is going on in our lives, wherever we are, those that will echo the words of Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. And I know from experience, the breaking can be painful. When he just strips away those things that we want to hold on to. The melting, it can be uncomfortable. You know, those hardened things, hardened hearts that he has to soften in order to use us. The molding, however we spell it, is stretching. As he shapes us for the work that he has for us. But the filling is life-changing as we humble ourselves before God. Our Heavenly Father, Abba Father, He's looking for a community of people who will point everything to Jesus, just as John the Baptist did. Turn all the intention onto Him. And I want to say to us as a community, if this is the kind of ministry we want to do, which I believe it is, then can I say two things to encourage us? Number one, God knows what we can handle. And number two, God knows the way forward. He knows what we can handle, and he knows the way forward. I don't know about you, but I I don't think I could walk around a desert, a wilderness, wearing camel hair clothing and a leather belt eating locusts and wild honey. Has anyone eaten a locust? I've munched on a fish eye once. That's not great. (laughs) Crunching on a locust. It might be tasty. It might not. I have no idea. But it's not the kind of thing that I think I could do. And actually, even more so, I don't think I could live on my own. And be that cutting-edge voice, calling people to repentance and challenging the religious and political leaders using words like, you brood of vipers. (laughs) But I do know if God called me to do that, then he would equip me and help me. You know, it's so important for us to know what God has given us to steward for him. Not trying to usurp someone else's Uh, if you like, talent or voice or calling, and not denying that which God has given us to do. See, John the Baptist, he was given a special gift to to steward. And you know from Matthew 25 when it talks about the talents, the, the one, the two, the five, and the ten. You know, he was given a special talent, that some task to steward, a message to multiply in terms of preparation, and he did it in a powerful way. And even in the face of criticism from the religious leaders of the, uh, the time, he stayed faithful to the message. And the message he was given, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's there for the taking. And you see, God knew what he could handle. He knew John could handle this message of preparation. That was his talent, which he could have buried and he could have put to the side. But quite the opposite, in the power of the Holy Spirit, He used it for the glory of God. And you see, what is the key in all of this? 
See, John himself knew this was not about his ministry. Even though some of his kind of disciples around him wanted to try and create the John the Baptist brand or label. He wasn't interested in that stuff. As he said, you know, this was about Jesus, the one whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. Not an easy task. You know, we may have been given one talent to Stuart, two, five, ten. God may have given us a task to reveal Jesus to one person, one person only, or to a thousand. Our field of work may be our family, our friends, our neighborhood, our work colleagues, or it may be further afield. But you see, God knows what we can handle. And what he's looking for in us is if you like his kids, his children, who will not bury the talents he's given us or give up or put them to the side, but those who will use them for his glory. Putting the focus onto Jesus, humbling ourselves and magnifying Jesus as John did. And the challenge for us all at such a time is, you know, what are we doing with God, with what God has given us, what the Father has given us, and what is the fruit? See, fruitfulness is really important, bearing fruit for him. And even when, if you like, the brood of vipers are around us, challenging us, questioning us, mocking us, and all the different things that go with the Christian faith, what do we do? Well, we look in the Scriptures and we see David, he keeps on singing. Daniel. Imagine the, the context in which Daniel was working in the, uh, the, the government's and the darkness he was surrounded by. What did he do? He keeps on praying in the, even in the face of the lion's den. Nehemiah, with all the threats, he keeps on building. John, with all kind of the pressure from the religious leaders, he keeps on baptizing. Paul, with all the suffering he faced, he keeps on preaching. God wants us to keep on going. To be faithful to him and to his word. And to steward that precious talent, that gift, that he's given each one of us. And if you don't know what it is, just ask the person next to you. Maybe not exactly at this moment, um, but ask the person next to you and trust that they can see in you that gift. But I think most of us know. And God knows what we can handle. Some time ago, um, listened to an amazing talk by Eric Johnson. And he was talking about burning the ships. I think I may have mentioned this before, but it just, again, just kind of just reminded me of the time that we're in. And he was uh, citing examples from great generals of history, like Alexander the Great. When Alexander, when they went to a new land, he would command his troops to burn the ships. Once they had landed on this new land, to burn all the ships. And the reason he did this, and other generals did this, was because burning the ships, there was no option of going back. There was only one option, and that was moving forward and conquering the land. And see, you know, our natural default is we love options. In fact, I think we feel it's our entitlement to have choice. 
You know, imagine going to the supermarket. There is no choice. We're all eating exactly the same thing. There is no choice. We'd, we'd hate that. We'd complain. We'd moan. What's happened to our choices? We love options. We love to be in charge, making decisions for ourselves based on a number of options. Shall we? Shall we not? A bit like uh, blowing the dandelion and, or picking off the petal. Shall I? Shall I not? Shall I? Shall I not? Shall I? Oh, I shall. You know, the problem is, when we have all of these options, we inevitably take the least painful and the least controversial route, especially when it comes to faith and living the kingdom life, which is not always the best and not always the right choice for us. See, this was the issue with the Pharisees. They fell for the least controversial option and they used their tradition as a justification for their legalistic approach. They used their tradition to question any new teaching. They used their tradition to shut down or try to shut down the move of the Spirit. But as John the Baptist preached, as Jesus revealed, as the early church manifested, this is not God's way. It never has been and it never will. John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff, burn up the ships with unquenchable fire. See, God's way is baptism. And I love this word baptism. I was doing a, a baptism visit this, this week and just explaining to the, asking the couple, number one, why do you want to get your child baptized? And I love to hear the answers as they, uh, they think they're on the spot. And I, say, I make it point. I'm not shining a spotlight. I just want to know your heart, your heart for your child. And then we get to talk about baptism. And in the Greek, there's two words, bapto and baptizo. Bapto is to dip and take out. You know, we love to dip in and out. Whereas baptizo is to immerse, to saturate, to marinate. What an amazing word that we have, that God has given to us. His way is baptism. His way is being so immersed in his love that nothing, no part can be absent from his love. His way is to be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing so that we don't function out of emptiness but we function out of the overflow. His way is holiness. Being immersed in His holy power and presence so that we can live the lives that He has for us. His way is power. The power of God burning through us. And I want to encourage you in this season. Ask for the fire of God to come. I remember for about uh, five or six times going to Toronto, you know, I was like, people talked about this fire. What is this fire, God? I want your fire. And I was like, you know, nice feelings, but boy, when the fire came, it changes your perspective about who God is and what he wants to do in and through us. Ask for his fire. His way is fruitfulness. To bear fruit for him. And you know, one of the challenges, and we'll be doing this for the, the new year, 
is you know, really looking again at the plumb line of what God has called us to be and to do. Because we want to bear fruit for him. Not just do stuff that might be nice and good. But really do that which sows good seed into good soil and bears good fruit for his glory. So that as he gathers, if you like, what we offer to him, it's wheat and not chaff. And it's for his glory. His way is one way, one option, and it's Jesus. You know, one of the greatest prayers we can pay, pray for ourselves is more of you, Lord. More of you. You know, pray it for me. Pray it for yourselves. Pray it for your neighbors. You see, when we have more of God in us, we have more to offer him around us. Not less of me and more of him. That's false theology. Jesus didn't die for less of me. He died for all of me. He died for all of you. You know, all of him and all of me. So that all I have to offer gives glory to him. And you see, when we pray that kind of prayer day by day, actually what we're asking God to do is to limit our options to his option for our lives. To limit our self-dependency and self-reliance. You know, when we, those, those backup plans and backup, backup, backup plans that we fall back on so easily. And to actually know there is one decision. Burn the ships and go his way for his glory. You know, that's why submitting our planning application for the Hope Center is so significant. The ship to go back has been burnt. There's only one direction for us. And that's forward to build. You know, I'm really thankful to God. He's given us this vision as a community. A vision of hope. And boy, does our community need it. A vision that there will be a place, and there is a place, where people can come and find healing. Those who are broken can come and find restoration. Those who are lost can come and be found by Jesus. A place where people would love to come and rest and just be themselves and discover themselves and their identity. It's about community and about communion. And I think the challenge for us all, let's not bury our heads, but lift up our eyes to really see who Jesus is and what he wants for us. Not to withdraw when it gets tough, and it probably will get tough, and it is tough, but actually to know the multiple talents that he's given us as a community and to use them for his glory. And certainly not to be afraid of all the unknowns, not least the money that we need to raise, but to trust knowing that God knows what we can handle and what we can do and achieve in his name. See, John discovered this. There's only one way. 
Make that path clear. And his option was uncomfortable. It was even offensive to some. But it was defining. And it was refining. And it's the only way that was going to produce fruit. And it's the same for us. In our lives. One option. That defines us. That refines us. That is fruitful. And this option has a name. And his name is Jesus. Let's stand.